Solomon, at the time the wisest man in the world, wrote these words which are recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Solomon was such a man. If you look at the list of his accomplishments, which he records in the first and second chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, it is almost hard to believe that one man could have achieved so much. But he understood this adage that he left in writing for us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The history of God's people recorded in both testaments of our Bible and the church history which has followed for the last two millennia is literally filled with examples. I'm going to cite two and then we're going to look at the man Ezra about whom we read just a bit ago. One's name is William Carey. Some people call him the father of modern missions. Others object to that. They say there were people who went before him and they are right. Moravian brethren went before him to India, were there almost a century before he was there. Yet this man was mightily used of God in missions. At the age of 14, he was apprenticed to become a shoemaker. His education ended with that assignment in terms of its formality. But he kept learning. He was a hungry student. He was a man who, at a young age, came to know Jesus not simply as his Savior, but also as his Lord. The Spirit of God came to indwell him. And in the ferment of the Spirit's work in his life, he was a man who wanted to know the Bible more thoroughly. Consequently, as he would, in spare moments, sitting at his bench in the shoe shop where he made shoes and repaired shoes, he learned Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, self-taught, not quite, really the Spirit of God was teaching him, but nevertheless, he exercised the discipline that was necessary. When he found those languages available to him, he agreed with what God says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It was not long after that that he was assigned to go to India. He arrived there after about a year where he served as the manager, the foreman, if you will, of an indigo factory, he moved to another area of India in a region known as Sirampur. It was under the authority of the Danish government. It was there that he found more freedom to preach the gospel and actually more response. But the response was not what he had hoped. He had preached a sermon prior to leaving to a bunch of pastors, he being a Baptist pastor, and there was an annual meeting where all these pastors gathered, and he was given the pleasure and the responsibility to preach. And the essence of his message, which was based on Isaiah 40, 54, excuse me, 52, I'll get it right the third time, 52, verses 3 and 4, the scripture says, in essence, this, expect great things from God and attempt to great things for God. And he lived his life that way. And as he went there, God used him as he learned the Bengali language and the Hindi language. And he, with the help of others, translated the New Testament into six different languages 
in India in its entirety. Then 24 other languages had the Gospels printed after they had been translated from the original language of Greek in the New Testament into their language so they could have the Gospel. Remember, the Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Remember that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The way people come to know God is by the Spirit, through the Word of God. This man disciplined himself from an early age, and he worked hard. He did other things as well. He was a pioneer in many ways in mission work in India and in parts of the world that the gospel had not reached. It was his thought that it would be important as he and some other men opened a Bible college in the region of Serampore. It's called the Serampore Bible College today. Do you know that today the only recognized Protestant Bible college or university or seminary that is acceptable to the Indian government for degree awarding is that school which was founded in 1812, over 200 years ago. He was part of that. He also developed grammars and dictionaries for the Bengali language as well as the Hindi language. And then in addition to that, he was in the process having studied Sanskrit, and that means probably no more to me than it does to you, but this is important to see. Sanskrit, which he had discovered, was the language from which all the basic languages that were really impactful upon Indian culture had derived. And he concluded, along with others, that if you understand the Sanskrit language, you can really understand Indian culture. So he was in the process of putting together a dictionary that would include all the words from the various languages derived from Sanskrit in one book. He had spent an entire year on this project, working with all his might that he might honor God and give more insight into how missionaries on the field then and missionaries in the future could bring the gospel more effectively, having learned more about the Indian culture. A fire broke out where the ministry that he was involved in was housed. All that work was burned up in a matter of a few minutes. And, of course, he was disturbed by that, but he was not daunted. He wrote about this disturbance to a friend who was a good brother in Christ and someone who was holding the ropes, as it said, about those who let Paul over the edge of the city of Damascus and those people who were behind in England who were praying and providing for him. As he detailed all the losses, this is what he said, there is providence behind this. He saw the hand of God in something difficult. Now let me tell you something that you probably already know. God's hand is in the events of mankind and especially in the events of your life and my life as his children. What appears many times to be a total disaster is something which God uses to propel the gospel further than it otherwise would have gone. And here's what motivated this man to accomplish so many things. I'm only scratching the surface. Read about his life, William Carey. You will be incredibly encouraged 
This is what he wrote. Yet this is our encouragement. Now listen. The power of God is sufficient to accomplish everything which he has promised. And his promises are exceedingly great and precious, respecting the conversion of the Indian people. Remember, he had preached this great sermon, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. He believed completely in the sovereignty of God. But in addition to that, he was a man who believed he had to do what God told him to do for the gospel to get out to the world in a way that would change the landscape, not just of India, but all over the world. But here was a great man. Whatever his hand found to do, he did it with all of his might. Now fast forward to the 20th century. There was a young man who was valedictorian, valedictorian of his high school class in a little town in Southern California in the 1920s. He was not only intellectually sharp, he was socially sharp. He was adept at relationships. It seems that after he graduated from high school the summer before he would be eligible to go to college, this young man was arrested in his village for public intoxication. This was a little village where everybody knew everybody else. He knew the names of the policemen who did the arresting, and they certainly knew his name. First time he'd ever had a brush with the law. They took him to the jail, and they were getting ready to book him for public intoxication. And he began to weep, and he began to beg. Now, this was a young man who was tough as nails. It had been a long time since he had cried. Of course, he was under the influence of alcohol, and people do weird things under the influence of alcohol. But nevertheless, he wept, and then he said, please, don't book me as a criminal because I will have to go home to my mother after she bails me out and explain myself. And he was not so much afraid of that as much as he knew what it would do to his mother. And he begged them, please, please, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it if you won't book me. And they agreed with this stipulation. They said, Dawson, if you will promise that tomorrow evening you will go to the youth group meeting at the Presbyterian Church, we'll set you free. He said, thank you. He did as he was asked. He went there. And lo and behold, the ladies who were in charge of that youth group had been teachers of his in high school, and they had been praying throughout the entirety of high school for his salvation because they knew how bright he was, and they also knew how influential he was. And if they could win him, they felt like there would be many who would follow in his class. Well, they had a plan, and it was a genius plan. It was from the Lord, obviously, because they knew him very well, and they knew not only was he the smartest guy in his class, but he was a ladies' man. And so what they decided to do, they divided the group in two groups. They put the prettiest girls in one group, and they assigned him to that group. And no offense to the not-so-pretty girls, but they were in the opposite group. Well, this is what they were doing. They took Scripture, and they said, we're going to have a contest. Not only was he socially adept, not only was he brilliant, actually, intellectually, but he also was very competitive. And he hated to lose. 
Do you know the mark of the fiercest competitor? That he hates to lose more than he enjoys winning? That was Dawson Trotman. And, of course, he's wanting to impress the girls. So the scriptures which these teachers had decided upon quickly, they huddled together, all had to do with how a person comes to faith in Jesus. And what happened was Dawson took his scriptures which were assigned and he learned them. He was working that summer in a sawmill just outside town. And as he would walk back and forth, he would go over his verses. He came for the first meeting and time came for him to recite. He recited every verse word perfect. And his team went forward. But it was a weeks long, several weeks long kind of contest. Every week when he came back, he had everything memorized, everything word perfect. He could cite the reference and everything. Well, on the way to work one day, he was thinking about one of the verses that he was going to recite the following Sunday evening. It's John 1.12, which says, But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And it stunned him as he meditated on what that said. And he said, that has not happened to me. So his own testimony was that he got off the road, got down in a ditch by the side of the road, knelt in the sand there in that ditch, and prayed to receive Christ. His life was instantaneously and radically rearranged. Without anyone suggesting this, he decided that he, in the first year that followed, he would memorize one verse of Scripture every day so that by the end of year one, there had been 365 verses of Scripture memorized. Then he decided, I'm going to do this another year. And he did it a second year. At the end of the second year, he said, I'm going to do it the third year. And you can just do the math. Over 1,000 verses, this young man, by that time 21 years of age, had learned over 1,000 verses of Scripture. And God used that in his life in an incredible way. Whatever his hand found to do, he did with all his might. And the story which followed from that during that period of time, the three-year period, a close friend of his who had come to the Lord, I can't remember if it was directly from his witness or he had already known the Lord, but nevertheless, they teamed up and every morning before going to work at 5 a.m., they would meet at a pre-appointed place. They would build a fire and they had a map of the world. Just like, I didn't mention this, over his bench in the shoe shop in Nottinghamshire of England in the 18th century and the early 19th century, Carey had the map of the world and he would pray over it as he would work. These young men had this map spread out and they prayed over every country. They said, Lord, give me this country. Give us this country. Give us this country. And when they sensed that the Lord had promised them they had given, been given one country, they'd go to the next and they did this for a couple of years until they sensed God said, that's enough. And they quit meeting early in the morning for that deal. In 1941, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, there was not a single ship in the Pacific fleet, not just those which were harbored in Pearl that day, but every single ship had someone who was the product of the Navigator Ministry, which was the ministry that Dawson Trotman founded. 
there was someone on every one of those ships. And there were Bible studies led by navigators, seamen on every one of those ships, not to mention the ones which were not in dock that day. And those men had led many of the men who went to a watery grave that day to Christ. This man, whatever he did, he did with all his might, just like his predecessor had done, just like William Carey had done. Now, I want to draw your attention to another verse in Ecclesiastes. It's the third chapter in the 14th verse. 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I don't want to leave the wrong impression here. I'm not saying you and I have just got to hunker down and grit our teeth, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, whatever figure of speech you might want to use. It's not like that. Yeah, we are motivated to do these things, but the thing which motivates us is the presence of the Lord God in our lives that results in such fruitfulness. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3.14, I know that everything God does, and he's just cataloged all the things that he had done and how empty they left him. I know that everything God does will last forever. Dawson Trotman knew that. William Carey knew that. The Apostle Paul knew that. He said, writing to the Philippians, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. If God does it, it will matter. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. These men, these two men whom I have mentioned, they fully understood that. And it's true for you and me. Do you need something in terms of understanding and encouragement to do what God has created you to do, having first become whom God has created you to be, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and inherent in being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you have His Spirit living in you, and it is He who gives you the power to do whatever your hands do with all your might in a way that it'll count. I want my life to count. I hope you do too. I don't think you'd be here today if you were not interested in finding the secret to a life which counts. The secret is the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. And let me pause here. These two men, William Carey, Dawson Trotman, did what they did with all their might. Jesus Christ, with all due respect to those two men, Jesus Christ did it perfectly. They did it with flaws. They didn't always pass the test. As significant and successful as we might say they were. But in the case of Jesus, He did it perfectly. Have you noticed how there are many references in the Gospels to the hands of Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus' occupation was prior to His becoming the prophet, priest, king of Israel, issuing in the kingdom of God? Do you remember what it was? He was a carpenter. There is a legend. There's no way to verify this. It's quite probable. It makes sense that above his carpenter's shop, where he would make many pieces of carpentry, but one would have been yokes for a team of oxen, above the doorway, entering into his shop, were these words, my yokes fit well. 
I would say they fit perfectly. They didn't just fit well. My yokes fit well. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. In other words, fits well. And my burden is light. Do you know the burden that you may be feeling today, the weight that you feel upon you, could be directly related to the fact that you've been pulling at the traces yourself? You've been working with all your might, but there's no sense of fulfillment, satisfaction, or accomplishment associated with all your effort religiously could very well be found in the fact that you have not let go and let Jesus give you the power so that what you do when you do it with all your might will be not in your own power, but as Paul wrote to Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When he wrote to the Ephesians, he says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. It's only His power that can make us who we are to be. In Zechariah, God says to the man Zerubbabel, we're going to look at him briefly in just a moment, Zerubbabel, who was responsible for the building of the temple after the exiles came back from being exiled for years in Babylon. He was frightened. He saw this big pile of rubble. How in the world am I going to rebuild the temple? And God came to him and says, It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So whatever you're faced with in this life, whatever assignment God has given you, being a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. A wife who respects and submits to her husband as the church is to respect and submit to her Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, what kind of job you have, what kind of assignment you have in relationships outside your family, God will give you what you need in terms of power to accomplish those assignments as long as you understand that it's His power that makes you able to do those things. Now we come to the man Ezra. And Ezra is described in chapter 7 and the following chapters of his writing as being the one who leads a group. And there were just 1,700 people. That's a big group of people. But it was comparatively small with regard to the group which was led back earlier that's spoken of in the first chapter. Cyrus, the Bible says, was stirred up in his spirit by the Lord. Do you know that 200 years before this man Cyrus gave the sanction, it was more than a sanction, it was a decree, it was an order. You folks, if you are stirred up in your heart, and you're descendants of Abraham, and you were brought here by Nebuchadnezzar decades ago, you go home. And then he made a way for that to happen. He gave them the utensils, most of them at least, that had been brought by Nebuchadnezzar from the temple before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And he had provided the opportunity for them to go to their neighbors and ask their neighbors for Money, it was like the first example of GoFundMe. They just went and got money. 
from their neighbors. Can you imagine if I were to go to my little circle where I live, I'm knocking on my next door neighbor's house and say, Paul, uh, the Lord's told me to go to Hawaii on my vacation in May. And I think he wants you to help fund my vacation. I go to the next door. I say, Dick, same story. You know what I get from them? Probably saying, not today, Mike. You're barking up the wrong tree here. But that's what happened. And God took care of them. He provided for them. And approximately 50,000 people went the first time. That's a lot of people, isn't it? And God took care of them. And then we see here how God provides for them. This man whom we know is Ezra. Take a look at verse 6 of chapter 7. He went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. It was the hand of the Lord upon him that permitted him to receive all this provision from Artaxerxes, who was the king. Now, 60 years passed, approximately, between the time that Cyrus sent 50,000 people off to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple, and this movement of many fewer people than had gone the first time. But what we see here is that this man, Ezra, is described as a scribe. Now, what is a scribe? There are three things that characterize scribes in this day and in the day of Jesus. One was scribes were students. This man was a student of what we would call the Word of God, the law of God. He knew it backwards and forwards. He was a man who was committed to the Word of God. He was a scribe. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a scribe. Man, I'm glad I'm not. It's just too much work to think about. But he became a scribe because God assigned him that responsibility. But he became an extraordinary scribe. Why? We know he's extraordinary because how does the Bible describe him? He was skilled in the law of Moses. He was not any run-of-the-mill scribe. He was probably the most outstanding of all the scribes. The Lord gave him the power to do that. And he seized the opportunity to do that. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 22, verse 28, this is also a writing of Solomon, the king. He said, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. That happened to Ezra, didn't it? He stood before the leading monarch in the world. Can you imagine the courage it took? to go and stand before this man? Where did that courage come from? From the Lord working in his life. That's where it came from. And God answered what he had promised this man, Ezra. I think he did it. We don't have record of it, but I think we can, with some degree of certainty, know this happened. He was familiar with Ecclesiastes. He was familiar with the book of Proverbs. They had been written long before he was on the scene. And remember, he was a skilled man in the Word of God. And he also knew what Solomon had written when he said, The king's heart is like a stream of water in the Lord's hand. He turns it whichever way he wishes. Now, let me make a personal application 
or let you perhaps draw a personal application at this point. There's someone in your life, perhaps, if not probably, that is causing a lot of disturbance in your life. And you've tried everything you can to get that person straightened out. And it may be with good motive, but everything you've tried has failed. We can claim the promise of God if it's true that the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. We can be sure that anybody in our lives has a heart that the Lord can turn. We need to learn to claim the promises of God, just like William Carey wrote to his friend when he suffered that great disaster. He said, we believe in the very great precious promises of God. That's what this ministry is based on, is what he was saying. My life has been staked on the nature of God, that he is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he promised and will he not fulfill it? That was true with Ezra, I'm sure. Giving him the confidence he needed to stand there and getting the provision God provided through a pagan's life for all the money that was needed for them to make the journey 700 miles across a trackless desert, 700 miles with 1,700 people, which, by the way, they accomplished in record time. Normally, that trip would take about 10 months. It only took them about four or five months. How did that happen? God gave them that kind of favor as they went across. Why? Because the good hand of the Lord was upon them. That's why. And it will happen in your life too. If you understand what this man Ezra came to understand. Now look at verse 9. For on the first of the first month he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem. Why? Because the good hand of God was upon him. For Ezra had done four things. He devoted his heart. That's number one. That's the beginning point. Before you and I can be used by God to do anything that matters, we have to settle the issue of God's place in our heart. This is why the Bible says in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. That's the beginning place. I have to acknowledge that God chose me in Christ before the creation of the world to be set apart for his use. <coughs> so we see this, that God worked in this man's life and God used him. And he wants to use you and me. Then what did he do? He set apart in his heart God in his rightful place. And in addition to that, he studied the law of the Lord his God. He was a student of the Word of God. He was also an interpreter of God's Word. Because once he devoted himself, set apart God in his heart for God belonged on the throne... Then he did what he was told to do. This is where the disconnect comes for us mostly. We want to know the Word of God. We, don't know, we want to know the will of God. But when it comes to that place where we say, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can obey you in this area. Well, the Lord says, you can't. 
unless you depend on me. Are you willing to depend on me, Mike? Are you willing to trust me to step out and do what I'm telling you to do? Because I'm the one who gives you not only provision, I give you power. And the power is in the Word of God. When you obey it, you've got to obey it, Mike. You've got to do it, what I tell you. And then share it with other people. Be a scribe like Ezra. You might say, well, I'm no scribe. Ezra was a priest also. He was descended from Aaron the high priest. Uh, we would read that if we looked at it in the seventh chapter. Well, we're not a priests, are we? Well, yeah, we are. If we know Jesus, we are what is called a royal priesthood in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. All of us are part of a royal priesthood, and priests are given the responsibility to put God in touch with other people and people in touch with God. What a privilege is ours. And you say, well, I'm no student. Well, the Bible says to us, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Now, do you think that's just for a select group of people? Hardly. It's for all of us. And God will teach us what we need to know, and he will empower us to do what he has given us to do. We will never know until we hear from the Lord through the word of God, like Ezra did. And by faith, we step out and we see him open doors, redirect our lives when we run into some roadblock and use us to bring honor and glory to himself. This is what God says in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So I call out to God, God, I want to glorify you. Lord, I really don't understand what that means altogether, but I want to glorify you. And I'm calling on you to tell me something which you want me to do in my family, in my workplace, in my community, in my church, in the world. Lord, show me. The Bible says you do not have because you do not ask God. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Here's why so much of our prayers go unanswered. It's because we ask selfishly. We want something for us. Now look, you get a lot when you trust the Lord and obey Him. It, the reading yesterday in the map journal, Psalm 84, says this. It says, how blessed is the person whose strength is in the Lord. Our strength is in the Lord. It's not in us. And then it goes on to say, how blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord. We believe what he says is true. Then we receive the strength that we do not have in ourselves to do that which we otherwise would think is impossible for us to do. Ezra is an example of that. William Carey is an example of that. You know what William Carey told his nephew to tell people when he died? He said, don't write a biography on my life. Just tell them I could plod. You know what plodding is? It's just taking one step at a time. Just kind of staying with it. Putting your nose to the grindstone. Trusting God. Obeying God. Keeping a consistent walk in the presence of the Lord. And that man's life still resounds to the glory of God and will throughout eternity. 
because he trusted the Lord. Are you able to trust God? Let me just ask you that. Do you have the capacity to trust the Lord? Well, I think so. God would not give you a command that he would not give you the power to obey. And that is our Lord and the way he ministers to us. Well, there are two things which God gave to Ezra and he gives to you and me if we respond properly to him. If we humble ourselves under him, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he might exalt us, as Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 4. If we do that, this is what happens. He makes provision for whatever he gives us to do. You may say, well, I don't have what it takes. Well, welcome to the club. None of us does. Hudson Taylor, who was the founder of the China Inland Mission, a great man of God, the hand of God was upon him. He said, what God orders, God pays for. If God tells you to do something, he will give you the means. And I'm not just talking about monetarily. I'm talking about he will give you the power and the know-how to get it done if he gives you that calling in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Is what the And then the power will come when we study God's word, when we submit to God's word, and we share God's word with other people. Well, let's look at chapter 8 for just a moment. Listen to Ezra. He makes a confession. I was ashamed to request from the king, that would be Artaxerxes, troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger against all those who forsake him. Well, he was embarrassed, wasn't he? I've made this boast that God is with us, that God's good hand is upon us, and now I've got to do something about it. I've got to obey. I've got to take these 1,700 people who've never been out in the desert on a 700-mile journey and that journey has been funded and the word will be out that we've got a lot of gold and a lot of silver. And there'll be people who are thieves who are going to be setting a trap for us and it'll be a no-brainer for them. It'll be simple because we don't have the armament. We don't have the defense mechanism to deal with them. Well, look at verse 31. God's hand was on them. Then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the twelfth of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes on the way. Wow. The Lord not only provided for the trip and provided what they would need when they got to Jerusalem to do what they were sent to do, but God also, in addition to providing for them, he gave them the power, and then lo and behold, what does he do? He gives them the necessary protection from the enemy. There were ambushes. There were attempts which were made, but they all fell flat. We don't know the details of what happened, but what we do know is the Lord protected them. And the Lord will protect you and me too. Just as surely as he protected William Carey, not without trouble. Carey lost two wives and two children while serving the Lord in India not to mention all that work I mentioned that he had done. But 
the Lord will take care of you. This is what God promises you. God promises us who know him. The Lord will strengthen you against the evil one. You need strengthening against the devil today? Is he wearing you out? He is our adversary. He roars, walks around like a roaring lion. But greater is he who is in you, if you know Jesus, than he who is in the world. Satan is no match for the Lord Jesus Christ who lives in us. It's ours to claim the promises that God has made us in his word and be willing to obey the commands he gives us so that we can walk in victory. We will have the good hand of the Lord on us. Now, you know that we've been working our way through the book of John, those of you here, and just about one hour before I gave this message last night, the Lord redirected me from John to this. And I'm so glad he did. I needed it. I hope you know that when I teach the Bible, not always, but many times, I'm really preaching to myself. The majority of the time, I'm preaching to Mike Woods. I need it. I need this knowledge that the good hand of the Lord can be upon me and consequently upon all of us, not because we have a relationship of pastor to people. That's not the point. It's because we are no different than Ezra or William Carey or Dawson Trotman or thousands and hundreds of thousands of people we could cite today who need help. And we want to be helpful to other people. And the help is found and the helpfulness is given by the Lord to us. We become men and women who are devoted to Christ and devoted to the Word of God. We are men and women who have the capacity to do the things God has called us to do. He's shown us, and He is going to continue to show us as a church. We need to quit thinking so much individually. I know that all the various parts make up the whole. I know that. And we all have to want to be and do who the Lord wants us to be and to do. We all have to do that. But as a body, the Lord, he's looking for a group of people that he can use to glorify himself in this world. And I'm glad that he's called me to be part of this body. And we want to seek the Lord's guidance and live it out and do and go where he wants us to do and to go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this example you've given us from church history and from the Word of God. We thank you for Ezra, who was diligent in his devotion to you, Lord, in his studying of the Word, in his submitting to the Word, in his sharing the Word, Lord. Help us to be this kind of church. Lord, glorify yourself through our church. Help us to quit thinking individually so much and begin to think corporately. Begin to pray for each other. Begin to petition you for holiness in our lives and the life of your people so that you could use us to bring people to faith and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a good week submitting to the word of the Lord.